Amen. We're going to continue to pray for all these miracles that we need. And I'm so grateful that we can continue to come together and lift up the name of the Lord and go before that throne of grace. Um, as I was preparing, even just for tonight, I, I was thinking about, well, Lord, what do you want us to pray about? Not necessarily, Lord, what do you want me to preach about? And the Lord reminded me of, of a word that I had actually been talking about with a lot of uh, just uh, friends of mine and, and people that are in ministry as well. And uh, I was thinking about words. I love words. I love the construction of words. I love etymology and even the root of words. And I do find it funny that there are several words, particularly in the English language, that we use interchangeably, even though we use them incorrectly. Uh, I'm looking at Susan right now because she's a, a bit of a, of a grammar teacher and uh, quick to point it out if something has gone wrong in grammar. But I think about some of the common ones that we misuse. You know, for example, there, there, and there. You know, how often now people like to correct you when you're using the wrong kind of there. Or one that I've given up trying to figure out which is which, affect and effect. I don't know when to use it. I don't know which one's which. It's whatever I feel like is going to be the word used on that. And I think most people on the other end who are reading it don't know which one is right, effect or effect. But there is a word that I think we do need to take the time to really understand the difference and the impact of that word. And those two words are empathy and sympathy. The word I want to focus in on really is empathy, because there's a major difference between empathy and sympathy, and I think you can boil that down to basically emotion. Empathy means experiencing someone else's feelings. It comes from a German word meaning feeling into. It requires an emotional component of really feeling what the other person is feeling. Sympathy, on the other hand, means understanding someone else's suffering. It's more cognitive, it's more in your head uh, than it is in actual proximity. It, actually, sympathy keeps a certain distance. So, for example, if, if I'm being sympathetic or empathetic, uh, one of the uh, illustrations that I saw as I was doing a little bit of research is someone is down in a hole, the empathetic person climbs down a ladder and sits with that person in the hole, the sympathetic person looks through the hole at the top and goes, wow, I feel bad for you, right? Essentially, sympathy separates. Social psychologist and best-selling author Brianne Brown says, empathy drives connection and sympathy drives disconnection. And I think the problem is we often confuse sympathy for empathy. And, and hey, you know, I feel bad for that person. But oftentimes that's all we feel. When you feel empathy, you're feeling their feelings to such a degree that it moves you into some sort of action. It moves you into, because now you're experiencing it. And I think more and more, as we're getting connected online, we're getting disconnected in person, and we're creating more sympathy than we are having empathy. And so we might feel bad for someone's situation. We might think, oh, that's terrible, but we don't feel bad enough to actually be a part of the solution. We don't feel bad enough to actually do something. And when that starts to creep into the church, it gets really dangerous because we have sympathy for the lost, but we don't have empathy for the lost. Now, I feel bad that they're going to hell but you no longer feel the same plight you felt when you had the realization that without Christ, you yourself were on your way to hell. 
It doesn't have that same pull, that same drive. And I think it's so vital for all believers to have empathy. And the conversation I've been having with a lot of my friends is we're talking about a lot of different issues sociology-wise and just even in our world, and we're having these discussions. And I find myself always coming back to this one point. I go, honestly, I think the main issue is as a church, we've lost empathy. We're no longer empathetic to somebody else's issues. We're no longer empathetic to other people's situation. We have sympathy, but we've lost empathy. And I believe the world is dying to see a church that is empathetic, not just sympathetic. In the book of John, chapter 8, verse 3 through 11, I think you see a really great example of this. The Bible tells us that Jesus is teaching in a crowd and and he's having this great ministry moment. And the Bible says in verse 3 that as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stooped down again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Amen. Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate empathizer. He is the greatest example we will ever have of what it truly means to be empathetic. One example that I think we can follow. And in this scenario, I think the Pharisees are a phenomenal example of what empathy is not. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down and look it over later for yourself. But one of the first things that the Lord spoke to me as I was reading through this passage is that empathy doesn't expose Think about it. They brought her before the crowd. They say that the woman was caught in the act of adultery. So you can take that idea and and pretty much surmise that she was undressed, that she was unkept, that that she was distraught, that she was probably emotional. She's probably crying. And this isn't like a random crowd. This is her community. So she's probably bought brought before a crowd of relatives. She's probably brought before a crowd of friends that she grew up with, people that she knew. This is the most mortifying moment you could ever imagine. And here she is naked, embarrassed, brought before this crowd all so that they can make a point, right? We want to be careful as a church to not be people who want to expose sin, Right? The Holy Spirit can do that. The Bible is clear that what's done in darkness will be brought to light. I'm not saying we hide in that sense, we hide people's sins. And, you know, if Pastor Carlos was doing something inappropriate, it would be inappropriate of me to try to hide it just to cover him. Uh, So that's not what I'm saying. But if someone were to come in repentance, if someone were even to be caught, even before that repentance, it's not my responsibility as a human being to expose that person and say, look what they did. Now, I'm going to let you in on on a little pastor secret. Uh, This is something that if you're not in ministry, you may not totally understand. But there is a temptation for most pastors, probably not ours because he's awesome, but everybody else. Most pastors I know have this temptation. There are moments where people in the church make accusations, say things, talk badly about those in leadership. 
And there's a temptation on the leadership's end, on the pastor's end, to expose the truth and to say, well, you guys really want to know what happened? Because you'll hear, oh, Pastor Joey said this, or Pastor Carlos did that. And it would be easy for one of these pastors to justify their actions by exposing the people's sin. And I can say this, and again, I don't mean this to fluff Pastor Carlos up because he already knows he's awesome and he doesn't like this kind of stuff anyways. But I can tell you from my perspective, I have seen people badmouth them. I've seen people curse you out as they're leaving the office and say all types of things, and he will never speak about it publicly. And there were moments early on, even before I was a pastor, I'm like, Pastor, why don't you call that person out? And his response was always, that's not my job. God justifies me. I don't have to justify myself. Okay? Now listen, I'm not saying that, again, to fluff any of us up, but to just say, that should be our mentality. Well, well, listen, we're not going to, so that's what happens so often, right? If we expose someone else's sin, then maybe in light of that, our sin doesn't look so bad. If we expose someone else's issues, you know, and often we do that in disguise of prayer, right? Oh, well, we need to pray for so-and-so. Well, what happened? Oh, you didn't hear? Let me give you all the details. Let me explain to you what happened. As opposed to saying, you know, the details don't matter. We just need to pray that God would heal that situation. Because God knows what's going on. God knows the details. And so let's just, let's just intervene. Let's not worry about everything else. Right? We need to be careful because listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, or chapter 4, verse 8. It says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers sins. It doesn't expose it. It, it doesn't throw it up on a man to say, look who, what he did and look what she did and did you hear this and did you hear that? Again, if God exposes things, if people expose themselves, that's between them. But it is not my responsibility to throw the tea out there, as the kids say, and, and to spell it all out and to let this person be naked and embarrassed in front of everyone just to make a point out of them. And oftentimes that's what we do, isn't it? It's, and we disguise it in spirituality. Well, we're just using it as an example of what not to do. Well, why don't we just make examples of what to do rather than examples of what not to do? Because if you were training me and all you, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm a new hire at your retail store and you were training me, but your entire training was made up of what not to do in the store. I would have a great idea of what not to do, but I wouldn't have a clue of what you hired me to do. And as a church, we need to be careful because we are so uh, busy telling people what not to do that we never told people what God called us to do and how God called us to live. And I can guarantee you this, if your love is covering a multitude of sin, if somebody who is really messed up, and if you think about a great example of that is the story of the prodigal son. The Bible tells us that this son who had took his father's inheritance and spent it on wild living and all types of horrible things. The Bible says that when he finally came back to his father, the father saw him and while he was still a long way off, he ran to him. Now, one of the reasons why he ran to him is because within that culture, that son would not be allowed back into the house because people would know what he had done. But the Bible says that he ran to him and he threw his coat over him and he put his ring on him. In other words, saying, I am covering that sin. That doesn't matter anymore. He's mine and I'm bringing him back into full sonship. So if God covers our sin by the blood of the lamb, why are we so quick to expose other people's sins? We need to be careful, church, because it could just as easily be us in the middle of the crowd exposed before everybody. Empathy doesn't expose, and empathy also loves people, not points. Empathy loves people, not points. 
So often we, we have gotten into this arena of argumentativeness where we're, where we're battling people online or we're battling people in person and you might win the argument, but you will definitely lose the person. And we need to remember that our goal is to love people, not love points. The Pharisees, when they dragged this woman before the crowd, naked and embarrassed, the Bible is clear that they were trying to trap him into saying something. They were trying to trap Jesus. They didn't care about the act. They didn't care what this woman did. If they really cared what she did, they would have brought the man as well. But they only brought the woman. I'm, I may not be correct in this. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been in school, but I do think it takes two to adultery, right? And so you only have one which tells me they didn't really care about the act of adultery. Who knows if maybe they didn't even set this woman up. I, I can't you know, put a bunch of conjecture in, but I can say this. It's very clear what their motives were. Their motives were to trap Jesus, to catch Jesus in a situation. Proverbs chapter 16, verse two says this, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Oftentimes we can, we can disguise our lack of empathy when we're arguing a situation, when we're arguing a point with spirituality. When someone commits suicide, that is not an opportunity for a theological debate. Amen. That's a time for empathy and love. Yes. Yes. Oh, but they need to know, you know that if they do that, then this, would, you don't even know that person. So what does is, what is your two cents really add to anything? other than telling the rest of the world that you care more about making a point than you do about people. And we need to be careful about what we jump on our soapbox about. And, and again, it's just grieved my heart over and over again in the past year where I see Christians who are willing to lose friendships, who are willing to lose community, who are willing to lose their witness for the sake of winning an argument. For the sake of, of a politician or for the sake of a cultural viewpoint or for the sake of their ideology, they are willing to have this argument and fight and scream even though it diminishes their witness and it causes a distaste in an unbeliever's mouth. We need to be very, very cautious because empathy loves people. I may never have gone through exactly what you went through, but I've gone through enough pain to understand yours. When somebody is going through something, it's not our responsibility to decide whether that pain is justifiable or not. If my wife is hurting, if she's upset and she's crying, my job is not to sit there and go, you have no reason to cry. Your crying is unjustifiable. I don't understand why you're crying. That's dumb. She might stop crying, but just long enough to punch me in the mouth. I didn't solve a situation. I didn't solve an issue. And the problem is more often than not, we want to have a response uh, to solve something rather than the connection with people. So somebody comes up with something, and, and we do this a lot, and this is where we need to be careful. Somebody tells you something that's going on in their life. You do know that you don't always have to have an answer to that situation, right? And I'll, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm the first one that God has been working with me and helping me to understand and to remember that when people come to me, I don't always have to have an answer. There are some situations, and I've been doing some camps this summer, and there are some stuff that comes up and some very deep and horrible, horrible things that some of these children have gone through. And when they tell me there is no answer that I can give them that's going to take away that pain in that moment. But there is a connection that I can have that will bring empathy and love and, God willing, the love of Christ that begins healing in that situation. Going back to that doctor that I quoted, that psychologist, Brianne, 
One of the things that she said in her last talk was rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is a connection. Let's aim to connect with people rather than argue with people. Because I've never seen somebody walk away from an argument online and go, you know what, they were right. (laughs) It only causes people to dig their heels in deeper. But when you can make a real connection with somebody, one that's deeper than whatever argument you're having, even if you agree to disagree at the end of the day on whatever those viewpoints are, you can salvage the relationship because the connection runs deeper than the point you're trying to make. And I've had plenty of friends that I've terribly disagreed with that I still love as my friends. Because, you know, we can have disagreements with people and still love them. It's just important to be empathetic toward their cause, toward their pain, toward what they're going through. And I think part of that is because empathy has been where you've been. It's hard to empathize with someone when you forget what you've gone through yourself. That's why we're only left with sympathy. Sympathy is a cognitive response. It's a cognitive understanding of thinking what you're going through is bad. And so I feel bad for you, but not bad with you because I've never gone through anything like that. And what I've come to understand is that I don't have to have gone through exactly the same thing you went through in order to empathize with you. Uh, One of my favorite preachers from all back in the days is a guy named Reggie Dabbs. And one of his famous quotes was, I don't need to know your name to know your pain because I have my own. And oftentimes, some of our greatest connections come through through some of our greatest pains that we've had. There are some women in this room who who have dealt with, did I sound weird all of a sudden? (laughs) The Lord? Lord? (laughs) Oh my God, Jesus, that was the Lord. There are some women who have, and just recently I I had two dear friends uh, lose their children uh, just before birth. That's a pain that I can never empathize with on my own. Some of you though, some, especially some of you ladies who have dealt with that in your own situations, maybe quietly, maybe nobody else is about, and you've wondered why God has allowed a situation like that to occur. Sometimes it's because you're gonna have an ability to empathize with that person like no one else will. And it's a door that the Lord opens to healing and to restoration and to even healing in your own situation because he's shown you the purpose in your pain. This is the power of empathy. When we are able to understand that we have gone through situations and we have struggled through situations and, and rather than telling the person, well, at least this didn't happen or, or, you know, cheer up because at least you still have this, just sit in the pain with them for a little while. First Timothy chapter one, verse 12 through 16 says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is Paul speaking to a, a young pastor named Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme his name, the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of what great patience and even the worst sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. 
Have you been saved so long that you've forgotten what loss felt like? Have you been involved in the church so long that you forgot what it was to feel the absence of Christ? Some of us are so heavenly minded that we're no longer any earthly good. And God is trying to remind you that if you can just empathize by remembering that you, once you were lost. I love that Paul, you know, a lot of the things says he filled me, he, you know, he gave me, it was a lot of past tense. But when he says this, and I am the worst of them all, notice that that's not past tense. I'm still the worst of them all. God had grace and mercy and patience for me in order to be a reminder and example to others that he can have grace, patience, and mercy on them. We live in such a day where all we ever show was our best foot. All we ever show was our most filtered picture. All we ever show is our kindest face. And often, as you think about it, there are so many doubting Thomases in this world, so many unbelievers that need to see the scars of your life to be able to witness and believe in the Christ your Lord. Amen. And it's through empathy that they see those scars. It's through being willing to sit in the muck and the mire with that situation and remind them that there was a Lord who pulled me out of this and I believe God can pull you out of that as well. Amen. Church, I pray, and this is my prayer even before today, this has been my prayer, that God would soften our hearts to the world and to our church. That we would be sensitive and empathetic. That we would cry with others and lean into others because we are reminded of the grace and the mercy that God has shown to us. Empathy can only be lost when we are the ones who refuse to accept it. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. The last little tidbit I picked up as I was reading this is that empathy loves, it does not condemn. Notice at the end, Jesus says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And neither do I. Didn't one of them condemn you? And neither do I condemn you. This is the beauty of our Christ, is that he doesn't hold our sins against us as he should, as he can. He doesn't bring up your past every time you do something messed up, every time you turn your back on him. He's not constantly throwing the receipt of your salvation in your face saying, you owe me. God just loves us and shows mercy and shows grace. Quite honestly, the greatest obstacle towards the throne of grace is not God, it's Christians. When we make it impossible for people to be able to come back to God, because all we give them is sympathy and no empathy. We tell them, I feel bad for you, but not enough to do something about this. Not enough to pray with you. Not enough to help you. Not enough to lend a hand. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Who are we to think we're 
better than anyone on this planet. Who are we to judge someone just because their sin looks different than our sin or it's just more recent than ours is? We're the worst of them all. We're not perfect, we just serve a perfect God. And it's important for you and I to keep that tender, empathetic heart, not just for the lost, but for other believers. I've often said this and commented to my wife, I think as a whole, the church, we give an immense amount of grace towards an unbeliever who comes off the street. They could have just come out of jail. They could have just come out of prostitution. They could have just come out of living and, you know, a drug addicted life. As a matter of fact, the more intense, the more we celebrate it as a church when they come to Jesus. And rightfully so. The problem I find is That believer who grew up in church, whose mom and dad brought him to church all their life and faithfully they serve God and then all of a sudden at 22 they get caught up in some stuff and they make a mistake and they have a moral failure. Maybe they get pregnant as a teenager or maybe they just have a struggle and it was one moment of a mishap and yet the church quickly shuns on them. And we no longer show the same empathy because we think, well, you should know better. I just think it's harder to maintain an A than to earn an A. And I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong. I'm saying empathy is what God has called us to do. The Holy Spirit, God is the judge. Let him do that job. The Bible tells us that we owe no one nothing except the responsibility of loving them. And empathy is one of the greatest ways we can love people. By sitting in the pain with them, by not trying to offer them answers, by not saying anything really sometimes by giving them a hug and crying with them and saying, I'm sorry. This is horrible. I can't even imagine what you're going through, but I'm here with you. If we only realize how powerful that can be to just sit with someone and empathize. And it's an ability that God gives us because it's one that he demonstrates. So tonight I really would love for us to pray for greater empathy in the church beginning in us. But before we do, I wonder if anyone here tonight or maybe even who's watching online, you're in need of receiving empathy yourself. Maybe you're going through a trying time. Maybe you've had some major setbacks happen all of a sudden. Maybe you're just honestly, you're not in a good place. You're not doing well spiritually. You know all the things you're supposed to do, but you're just not doing well. In a moment, I want to invite you to this altar because the Bible was clear in Hebrews that because of our great and high priest who can empathize with us, we can boldly go before the throne of grace. We can approach God's throne and receive grace and confidence that we might also receive mercy.